Uh, well, welcome uh, along to Beyond Church. If you snuck in late uh, or if you weren't paying attention and you missed it, uh, my name uh, is Chris. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Beyond. Uh, before we get uh, started tonight, I just wanted to let everyone know that next Sunday, uh, next Sunday, 6.30, uh, it's a big day in the life of, um, of Christians because uh, it's Easter. Uh, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a, a particularly great week, uh, Easter, for you to come along because uh, we're going to be discussing... The one thing, so I, I talk to a lot of people who aren't followers of Jesus uh, all the time. Uh, in fact, this church is designed uh, for people who, who didn't grow up in church or don't consider themselves particularly religious. And I think a lot of the arguments people have against Christianity are valid, but I think there's an even better one. Uh, there's one that trumps every other argument, and for some reason, no one really wants to talk about it. Because, uh, and if you ask this to Christians, usually they stutter a little bit. They're like, "Oh, I don't know how to deal with this one." So we're going to talk about that one next week. We're going to bring it right to the fore and we're going to talk about it. So that's a great one uh, to come along for for our Easter celebration next week. But this week, um, if you're new with us, what we like to do here at Beyond is we like to uh, do things in series. Uh, so we'll take a topic or we'll take an idea and we'll camp out on it uh, for a number of weeks. And so we're in part two. We're wrapping up a really short two-part series that we've been doing called If Only You Knew. Uh, some of us or all of us at one point in time in our lives experienced, uh, whether it was in a relationship or whether it was a financial investment or whether it was in a job, you know, we, we step into that relationship or we step into that investment or we step into that job and then something happens that we didn't expect. And we say, if only, if only I'd have known that this was lying underneath the surface before I stepped in, things might have been different. If only I'd have known that, that, that the, the company had so many issues, I wouldn't have stepped into it beforehand. And I am... Um, I have a lot of these moments in my life, as I'm sure you do. Uh, the, other, the other morning, I, I like to ride my bike a little bit, like, um, like a push bike with Lycra. Just don't imagine the Lycra. Um, it's not good for anyone. Um, and so, so one more, uh, the other morning, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went out uh, for a bit of a ride with my brother, and we decided, let's, uh, let's go into the city right around uh, near Mount Cutha, and we'll do like a river loop, and then we'll climb Mount Cutha. And I didn't have anything wrong to suspect with my bike. I'd ridden it. This was on Monday. I'd ridden the bike on Saturday. I'd ridden it before that on Thursday. Like it was in good condition. Everything was working fine. Like the, the pedals were going fine. The chain was fine. The brakes didn't have an issue. And then we got, um, we got cruising uh, uh, through, through the city and, and started raining. Uh, and we continued to, to, keep, to keep going. There was really nowhere to go. And uh, we're coming back through to Wong. Uh, it's kind of stopped raining. And we're just about to come up to the part where you, you come to climb Mount Cutha. And there's a little bit of a, a dodgy part of the track because we're in the bike lane. And uh, if, you, if you know the area well, one of the bike lanes has to actually cross over the bike lane. So the cyclists who cross over are supposed to give the guys on the thoroughfare uh, the right of way. And, and one particular cyclist, you know, didn't see or, or for whatever reason kind of nicked across in front of my brother. And, and it was a really wet day. So uh, what happens uh, when you're riding is if you're wet, if you're sitting behind someone, it sprays water up all over you. So I was sitting back sort of 10 metres from him so as not to get sprayed. And, and this cyclist kind of flicked across in front of my brother and he jammed his brakes on to avoid him. And I jammed mine on too. And it was at that point that I realised that something wasn't right. And it was possibly the slowest crash you've ever seen in history as I'm gripping these brakes and nothing's happening and I'm slowly seeing the 10 metres just shrink and shrink and shrink and I'm kind of gradually slowing down. And with expert skill, some might say expert, some might say accidental, you know, whatever. With expert skill, I managed to bump my wheel into the rear of his wheel. 
so that you know there wasn't too much damage and I pushed him out of the road. As soon as I did that, I realized I probably should have pushed him in a different direction. I pushed him out of the road and there was a light pole there. And I'm going, you know, just slowing down ever so slowly, you know, and, and I hit the gutter and I, and I hit, uh, start to move head first towards this light pole. Good thing I was wearing a helmet. Bad thing was I decided that I should turn at the last second and like try to crash tackle the light pole. So I'm sorry if you're into Wong and you had some power outages that day. Um, yeah, I'll just put that in the bad jokes mode um, over here and we won't talk about it again. But my life would have been a little bit different if only I'd have known or if only I'd have thought to, to look at the brakes and, and realise that if I'd have looked at them and noticed them carefully that they were fine in dry weather. You know, they were, they were worn down a little bit but, and they were fine in dry weather. But, but if I'd have taken the time and paid attention to it, I would have realised and I would have looked at them and I would have gone, there is no way you should be riding in wet weather with those brakes. I wouldn't have even gone out uh, that morning. I thought, in our lives, how often do we form opinions based on what we know or what we think we know or the way things that, that have always been? And it takes an experience or something counter or something not the same as what we've normally experienced to, to, to shock us out of it or to get us to change our thinking. For example, maybe you're in a relationship and you have uh, no reason to think that your partner is unfaithful to you until you have an experience of that happening and then, and then you start to think, oh, maybe they are unfaithful and then we start to change our thinking about it. Uh, maybe for you, uh, you know, you're really good at playing the stock market and you, make all, you always make good investments and, and the way you do things always works until one day it doesn't turn out that well. And the same is true in the opposite. If you have bad experiences with something, it takes an almighty experience to change the way that you think about something. If you've ever been in a workplace that's not a good environment to be in, if you've ever been in maybe a store or a company and the morale in in the office is just not good, and then the company hires a new CEO or you get a new department manager and they walk in and they say, we're going to change this over, we're going to make some big changes, we're going to boost the morale. It takes the experience of actually seeing them change the culture for you to believe them. It takes the experience if if maybe you know someone who habitually lies all the time. All they do is they they just tell lie after lie after lie after lie after lie. And, and, you know, maybe they're little white lies or they're not a big deal, but they just bug you. You They say they're always going to be on time, but they're not. They say, oh, I'll be at the game, but they're not. It takes an experience of them consistently being on time for, an, for a good chunk of time for you to, for you to say, hey, you know what, I might change the way I think about that. I might change the way I think about this person. I might change the way I think about my workplace or my organisation because over time, I've experienced it. And with this series, uh, If Only You Knew, we're talking about some of the experiences that, that people have had with church. Because oftentimes, the church hasn't been the best example of what it talks about. And, and so people come to church and they have this idea and they say, oh, you know, I don't go to church because they're all judgmental. Or they say they're all about love and grace, but then, then the way they act is so counterintuitive. You know, they judge me for, the, for the, the, the way I talk. They judge me for my behavior. They judge me for the way I dress. They judge me for the relationships I'm, I'm in. Uh, they say they're all about love and grace, yet all I've experienced is judgment. Or maybe for you, you really experience the hard-hearted opinions of Christians. They say they're all about love, but man, they have a boisterous opinion. 
And some of the ways that they express their opinion could be considered hateful and disgraceful. You know, I haven't seen that in any other culture, but for some reason the church who is supposed to be all about love is just so hateful in some of the ways they go about things. And so what we wanted to do over this series, and last week we unpacked one idea, and this week we're going to pack, unpack another idea. Two things that, if only you knew them, might change the way you think about Jesus. And if you're not a follower uh, of Jesus, our aim is not to convince you to become a follower, but we just want to change the way that you might look at followers of Jesus. That you might be able to, to look at it and say, you know what, I understand that, that that's the way some Christians and some followers of Jesus behave, but, but I know there are people... And I know, more importantly, that the the guy that they follow, Jesus, isn't like that. My experience with some of the followers of Jesus has shown me that that the media and the way that a large group of Christians are portrayed, or a small group of Christians are portrayed to be the majority, is not the way that everyone is. And it's not the way that Jesus talked about. So we're going right to the heart of that issue tonight, and, uh, and and we did last week. And last week, if you were with us, Uh, we talked about this idea that Jesus doesn't want to take something from you, he wants to give something to you. Jesus doesn't want to take something from you, he wants to give something to you. And so often in all of our, uh, in our experience, maybe, uh, you know, if if you're uh, not a church person or you're not a follower of Jesus, you'd be better placed to answer that uh, than me. Uh, That you might have gone to church, you might have had experiences with Christians and they say, you you know, you don't have to do anything to earn God's love except join a connect group, except serve on the weekly team, except put your hand up for rosters, except give us money. You don't have to do anything but all that stuff. You have to do that. And so what, we, what, um, what people tend to have is this idea of Christians that you have to get yourself to a certain level before you can be good enough. You have to get yourself to a certain stage of your life before Jesus will look at you, before Jesus has the time to fix you up and worry about giving you something. And we looked at last week that that's not true. And we're going to dig even deeper into that this week. In fact, one of uh, Jesus's, Jesus had a group of, of 12 disciples. Um, that sounds kind of super religious. It's really just like, we, we, we would call them here at Beyond the Dirty Dozen because uh, they were kind of the outcasts of society. If you were going to start a social movement, if you were going to get people to, to follow you and, and carry your legacy on uh, into the next generation and the generations to come, uh, the group of men that Jesus chose wouldn't have been the group that you and I would have picked guaranteed it. They were the bottom rung of society. They weren't highly educated. Uh, you know, a, a lot of them, you know, because of their jobs, had already flunked out of school, so they weren't super intelligent. And, and, and one of this group, uh, called, uh, a guy called John. So there's 12, 12 main disciples, and, and then there was a group that Jesus really confided in. There was three. They were kind of like Jesus' best friends. And, and John was one of these three. And so John writes a, a book uh, it's actually part of the collection of writings called the New Testament. It's called John. He wasn't super creative. He wrote another, uh, a, a number of other books uh, in the New Testament as well, and then he just put numbers in front of those ones, like 1 John, 2 John, uh, etc. And John recounts this uh, story that we were talking about last week. And, and in this uh, event that John is recounting, Jesus is traveling with his disciples, and they come to this town called Sakaar. And, you know, you don't have to remember that. It's not going to be on a test, but... The, the important thing to remember about this town called Sakar, or to notice, is that it was a Samaritan town. And John explicitly writes in his, uh, in his journal or his, this document that this is a Samaritan town. Because in that culture, at that time, Jesus and his disciples were Jews. They were Jewish people. And Samaritans were kind of like a wannabe knockoff offshoot of Judaism. 
And the Jews did not respect the Samaritans at all. They were considered in such low esteem in culture. In fact, you know, Jewish men wouldn't even talk to Samaritan men. They'd look the other way. They did not have any respect for them at all. And so Jesus and his disciples walk through this Samaritan town. And the disciples go off to, um, to get some food because it's the middle of the day. And so Jesus is sitting at the well. And this woman, a Samaritan woman, walks to the well to draw some water. And it's interesting, and we talked about this last week, that this woman was an out, already an outcast by the fact that she was part of the Samaritans, which were outcasts from the Jewish people. But she's an outcast of the outcasts. She's coming to the well at midday in the heat of the sun when everyone else has taken a nap. Everyone else has taken a siesta because it's too hot to work. The women would come to the well in that culture to draw water early in the morning or late in the evening. But for some reason, and we didn't find out last week, but we're going to find out this week, this woman had been shunned by her peers. This woman had been shunned by the very people that were outcast from the Jewish culture. And she'd been pushed to the side by them. So much so that she did not feel that she could go and draw water with them at the regular time. She'd been so pushed away, so humiliated, so embarrassed that she didn't even feel that she could just hang at the back of the line and wait until everyone was gone and then just do it quietly. She felt that she had to come in the heat of the day when she knew no one would be around and draw water. And what she does at this time as she comes to to draw water, Jesus is sitting down and he's a bit tired, so she's not really expecting anyone to come. And Jesus initiates a conversation with her. And she's blown away because given everything in that culture, Jesus should not have been initiating this conversation. Jewish men didn't speak to Samaritan women. They didn't speak to Samaritan men, let alone women. And in that culture, uh, at that point in time, women were on the bottom rung of society. And this woman was on the bottom rung of that Samaritan society and an outcast. Jesus shouldn't have even been looking in her direction. And Jesus looks her in the eye and he says, I don't want to take something from you. In fact, I've got something to give you. And like most people today when they hear that in church, they, they ask this one question. And this Samaritan woman asked the same question because to her, this was a Jewish rabbi who was coming in. And even if you're not really a church person, you've probably heard of this idea of the Ten Commandments, that God gave you know, Moses, the Jewish nation, the Ten Commandments. Well, this woman knew that, that Jesus was a rabbi and these Jewish people, they'd made up another 600 or so commandments to help them keep the ten that they already had. She knew all the stuff that she was going to have to do to be made acceptable by these commandments. And so she asked the question a lot of us ask when we hear, you know, you know, God doesn't want anything from you, he wants to give something for you. I'm going to jump in at the point of the story today where she asked that question. And the question that she asks is, what's the catch? What's the catch? Nobody gets something for nothing. I saw that it was a $0 sign-up fee, but then they sting you later. You know, they charge you for three months the next month. Sure, it was a $0 sign-up fee, but then you had to pay the maintenance cost, you had to call, pay the call-out cost, and then there was some, some like, you know, warranty cost. I don't even know what that is. I just signed up for it, additional insurance, whatever that was. They say it's zero, but it never is. And so this woman, knowing that culture, knowing what Jesus, that he was a Jewish rabbi, knowing what the Jewish people were like, she goes, there's got to be a catch. You don't talk to the outcast of the outcast and offer them something for nothing. What's the catch? And so we join the, this, the part of the story today. It's in John chapter 4, verse 16. Um, 
If you have your Bibles with you, feel free to pull it out. Um, if you've got your smartphones um, on iTunes or the Android store, you can just download the Uversion Bible app and pull it up. If not, it'll come up on the screen. But this woman says, what's the catch? And then this is what Jesus says to her. He says, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. To you and I, that might seem like an odd thing to say. She's like, what's the catch? And Jesus goes, go and get your husband and then I'll tell you. Oh, you know, like, that's an odd thing to say to a woman, uh, to, particularly in that uh, era. But <clears throat> Jesus is, is making, uh, is, isn't making a statement that something's required of her. You know, might, a lot of you might hear that and go, ah, see, told you, something's required. She's got to go get her husband. And Jesus is going to actually go on and just show her that your expectations are not what, not what you think. In fact, if only you knew that I've come to give you something different, to give you something more. I'm not like those Jewish people that have these 600 commandments. I've got something better for you. Because Jesus, and we looked at last week uh, in part one, and if you haven't uh, listened to it, then I would encourage you to jump on our Facebook page and there's a link on our SoundCloud. You can go and listen to that message. Jesus looks at this woman and he says, I want to give you eternal life. I want to give you something more and I want to give it to you free. So he says, go... uh, Go and get your husband. And then this is how the woman replies. She goes, I don't have a husband. I don't have a husband. The woman wanted what Jesus was offering. She wanted that eternal life. She wanted to go get her husband, but she couldn't. And we're going to find out in a little bit why she couldn't, but she wanted to sugarcoat it a little bit. I'm sure you've never done this, of course. So let me just give you a hypothetical example that maybe one of your friends have done. If you're going out somewhere to an event... You're tired. You want to leave a little bit of wiggle room both ways. Are you coming tonight? I've got this thing on, but I'll see if I can make it. The thing you've got on is watching Netflix, and you'll see whether you can make it, whether you feel like too tired to get off the couch or not. You're not lying, but you're not fully telling the truth as well. And and this woman is doing the same thing to Jesus. She goes, that offer that you've made me, I want it. But I just don't know if you knew everything about me, if it would disqualify me from this offer of eternal life. So what she does is she goes, I don't really have a husband, actually. She kind of sugarcoats it. She goes, oh, let's see what I, was, what I would have got. You know, maybe later I'll tell him all about my past, but just for the second, just, just, just for a minute, I'm just going to let him think whatever he wants to think about me. And we'll see where that leads. <clears throat> and then Jesus calls her out a little bit. Although it's not really a call out because there's no one around. So Jesus actually says to her, he goes, you know what, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five of them. And the guy you're married to right now isn't even your husband. You certainly spoke the truth. Jesus really, you know, it kind of sounds harsh. Sounds like he's calling her out, but there's no one there to call her out to. It's just her and the woman. What Jesus is trying to say here is he goes, you know that offer of eternal life that I offered you? I knew everything you'd already done. I knew your past. I knew that you'd had five husbands. I knew the guy you were sleeping with now or living with now wasn't your husband. Guess what? I still made the offer. I still extended the offer of eternal life to you. I'm showing you right now that I actually do want to give you something. And I don't require anything of you at all. And what what Jesus is really saying to this woman is he's looking her in the eyes and he's saying, I'm strong enough to save you from your past. And more than that, I want to save you 
from your past. In fact, the stuff that you were too embarrassed to share with me because you thought it might disqualify you from this eternal life. I am strong enough to take that burden. I am strong enough to save you. And more than that, I want to save you. I want to do this for you. I want to offer you this eternal life to you. And this woman's first reaction before she knew all of this was to sugarcoat it a little bit. And for you, maybe uh, if you're not a church person, that's the reason that you've been avoiding church all these years. You've experienced, uh, whether it's through the media or whether it's through the church you grew up in or whether it's through followers of Jesus, that they want all this love, they want all this grace, but then they just want to judge. As soon as they find out about my past, they don't want to have anything to do with me. As soon as they find out what I've done, the stuff that even I'm ashamed of, that I finally feel that maybe I can express to them, they don't want to have anything to do with me and they make me feel like the outcast. And maybe for you, you're you're a follower of Jesus and for you there's some things that you still hold on to from your past. Maybe you stuck your hand up and you said, yeah, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. But there are some things that you just keep dragging with you into your future. You say, you know what, I want to trust you, Jesus. I I want to trust you for this eternal life. But hey, there's just some things that I really like right now in my life. And I'm not sure if I want to let go of them just yet. So you can have all of this stuff and we'll do a deal and I'll just keep this kind of stuff, okay? That sound good to you? And, And maybe for some of us who are followers of Jesus, you might want to step into your future so bad but you're afraid that if you tell the people that you do life with that they might think of you differently and you might think I know I read my bible I know that Jesus is about grace but I don't know if I confess this I don't know if I tell people this if they're going to look at me differently or more importantly whether Jesus is going to look at me differently if I actually own up to it And the Samaritan woman was in the same position that you're in. The Samaritan woman was kind of fumbling around. She was like, oh, I want this eternal life. I want this gift that you've got to me. I understand that you said I don't have to do anything for it, but but surely there's something I've got to do. Surely, you know, there's some loophole. Surely there's a catch. And in fact, what she goes on to do next is she does what a lot of followers of Jesus and maybe people who push back against the church do. She talked herself out of the message that Jesus had for her. And she was looking Jesus in the eyes. And this is what she says uh, in verse 25. She says, I know the Messiah is coming. In, In other words, what you've said sounds fantastic. But so you're a Jew, I'm a Jew, or I'm a Samaritan. We're kind of from the same mold. I know that there's a Messiah coming. You're not him, but I know there's someone coming. And and what you've kind of said to me is a little confusing. I don't get it. I think there should be a catch. In fact, it sounds too good to be true. So what's going to happen is the one who is called Christ. Yeah, when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. The one who is called Christ, when he gets here, he'll explain everything to us. And she did what a lot of us do. We begin to say, you know what, this message sounds too good to be true. Maybe Jesus doesn't really love me. Maybe I've got to wrestle with that on my own. Maybe I've got to deal with that on my own. Maybe I've got to isolate myself and get over that thing in my past on my own. Maybe I'm actually not worthy of what Jesus is offering. Maybe it really is too good to be true. 
Or maybe it's just too good not to be true. Because what Jesus does now with this woman, when she begins to talk herself out of it, oh, look, what you're saying is great. Yeah, I might buy it. And then she goes, oh, actually, now that you told me all this stuff, there's this guy coming. He's the Messiah. It kind of sounds too good to be true. It's a bit complicated. Maybe it's because it is. Jesus, this guy called uh, the Christ will come. He'll explain it then. I'll worry about it later. And she does what so many of us do. And we put it in the too hard to deal with the basket. It brings up too many emotions I don't want to deal with. It brings up too much stuff in my past. I don't really want to deal with it right now. I'll figure it out later. And Jesus, what he does here, he walks up to her and he looks her dead in the eyes. And he says these four words. He says, I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. And this phrase, this I am, was Jesus' way. And this woman would have known exactly what he was saying. Jesus would have been likening himself to God. He would have been saying, this message that I've got, you know, I want to give something to you for free. I just don't say it because God spoke it to me. I say it because I am God. And I am actually able to and I actually am strong enough to save you from your past. And more than that, I, I looked you in the eyes, knowing 100% what you did, and I still offered it to you. What Jesus is saying to this woman is, and what he's, what he's saying to us is, your past doesn't have to define your future. What you've done in your past, who you were in your past, does not have to define your future. Not because of you, not because of how good you've been, but because Jesus is strong enough to save you from your past and set you free for your future. We have this thing uh, at Beyond, it's called For Monday. Uh, whether, you, whether you're a follower of Jesus or, or whether you're just testing the waters or whether you're really, uh, you know, you just came along because you heard there was food afterwards and you just thought you'd check it. We just thought there's, there's no reason coming to church on Sunday if it doesn't change you for Monday. So what I want to do is I want to give you our For Monday and it's going to sound a little vague. And it's going to sound a little vague because it's dependent on you. I can't tell you what you need to let go of, but I am going to help you. So I'm going to give you two application points. If you're a follower of Jesus, got an application point for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, got an application point for you to think through as well. So uh, this is it. Leave your past in your past and step into your future. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe for you, you don't buy the whole Christianity thing, but you're curious. And you're starting to ask after hearing last week and you're hearing this week that maybe if that guy, that Jesus guy knew that woman's past and he still extended the offer to her, maybe I've misunderstood the message of Jesus. Maybe I've been looking at his followers the whole time and trying to understand Jesus through his followers instead of understanding Jesus. Maybe for you it's time to actually step over that threshold and say, you know what, I want to put my faith in the one who says he's strong enough to handle my past and strong enough to set me up for my future. Maybe that's for you tonight. and You're ready to make that step of faith. And we're going to give you an opportunity to do that at the end of the message. But if maybe that's not you, what's the one thing in your life, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that always keeps coming back around? You, know, you, you think you're doing well with it and then it always comes right back around again to bite you. For some of you, this might uh, look a little something like, you know, burnout or overscheduling in your calendars. 
You know, you just overschedule your calendar. You are pushed to the brink all the time in your life and then you finally get it under control or you think you do. But you just don't want to leave it in the past. You need to keep dragging that into the future. And so you keep, you know, overscheduling. You have this idea that you, you have to work so hard. And so you keep bringing it forwards, bringing it forwards. Maybe it's time just to leave it in the past. Maybe for you, there's a relationship or there's a pattern of relationships that you always get into. And you're attracted to a certain per- type of person and, and they're, just, they're just not a good kind of person. You know they're not good for you, you're not good for them. It always ends badly. Maybe for you, it's time to leave that kind of toxic relationship in the past and that kind of toxic relationship in the past and step into your future. Maybe it's something different. Maybe for you, it's just getting control of your finances. All the time, you're over budget. You know, you, you get more credit cards on top of credit cards. And, and maybe for, for you, it's time to say, you know what? I'm going to stop not being accountable. I'm going to stop not being accountable of my finances. I'm going to put a strategy in place to help me leave that uh, part of my life where I was always in debt, always scrambling in the past, and I'm going to step into my future. If you're a follower of Jesus, this application point uh, is for you. If you're not a follower, you can listen. This is, this is um, completely optional for you. So you kind of get a free pass on this one. But if you're, you're a follower of Jesus, this is something you really got to start to consider. Maybe for some of you, there's an area in your life that you just keep holding onto. That you just won't let go of. I needed to let go that you just won't let go of it. And you, you know this intuitively in yourself. In fact, you probably even ask questions along the lines of, is this a good thing to do? <laughs> how far is too far? How much is too much? How, can, how far can I push the limit and still be okay with it? And this isn't news for you. This is something you intuitively know deep down inside. You know you need to leave it in the past but you're just struggling to actually cut the ties. And the reason that you're struggling to cut the ties is because you don't trust Jesus with the future. And if that sounds harsh, I'm sorry. But if I don't tell you, no one else is going to tell you. The reason that you keep holding on to it is because you say, you know what? I kind of like this part of my life, Jesus, and I'm not sure that I can trust you if I let go. I'm not sure that I can trust you. I know where you're calling me. I know where you're asking me to go, but I really like this and I know it's destructive. I know it's pulling me down, but I just don't know if if I can trust you enough to let it go. If you're a follower of Jesus tonight, maybe you need to leave your past in your past and begin to trust that Jesus is freeing you up for your future. I don't know if you know this, but in 2015... Was the, 20, the year 2015 was the biggest year of persecution for the church. The biggest year that Christians were killed for their faith and for standing up what, uh, for what they believe in across the entire world. In fact, Jesus' 12 disciples, all bar a few of them, were put to death for what they believed in. They trusted Jesus with their future so much. They trusted that they were going to step into eternal life, that they trusted Jesus so much to give up their life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know that there have been people who have gone before you who were willing to trust Jesus with their future so much that they were willing to lay their life down. And the thing I'm about to say next is going to hurt some of you. 
some of you, your version of Christianity is not worth dying for. For some of you, your version of Christianity is a Western, safe version of Christianity. And it's because you don't trust Jesus that he's not only taken care of your past, but that he's freed you up for your future. And here's the thing. I don't think if Jesus came back right now, he would get angry at you. I don't think he would get mad. I don't think he would toss, every, you know, toss tables around and, and yell and scream. I think he'd sit down and he'd ask you a question. He'd say, why don't you trust me? Why don't you trust me? Why do you go around talking to people and saying, you know, in Jesus there's life. Jesus has given me eternal life. Jesus has saved me from my past. You won't believe how good life is with Jesus but then you don't trust me with your future. Why do you want to hold on and control your future so much and tell everyone all about me and how great a relationship with me is, but you don't trust me to step into your future with you? And I understand some of you who are followers of Jesus, you're going to push back and you're going to say, hey, Chris, you know, last week you told us that it was, you know, that there's nothing we have to do to earn God's love, and there's not. Jesus loves you exactly where you're at, but here's the thing. He loves you too much to leave you there. He's got a better future in mind for you. And Jesus says, I don't want you to just trust me that I've forgiven you of your past. I want you to trust me that I've got a better future in store for you as well. I don't want you to treat church. I don't want you to treat your relationship with me as a bit of a cosmic karma where you just come and throw a couple of prayers up on a Sunday night and then you go back to the rest of your week and no one can see or no one can tell a difference with this eternal hope that you keep talking about. And maybe for some of us tonight, that's because we need to leave the past in the past and trust Jesus with the future that he has called us to. And just for the followers of Jesus, if you're imagining, you know, that that might be hard and that might be scary, I'm not saying that it's not. I'm not saying that it's not a process. But could you imagine what would happen if we did that? Could you imagine what people would see if we began to let go of our past and also let go and trust Jesus as we stepped into our future? We wouldn't have to tell people anymore, if only you knew. If only, because we would lead with that. The way that we live our lives would be indicative of someone who was saved by grace and knew exactly what they were saved from. And they knew how dire their situation was and they knew just how much Jesus had saved them from and that he'd freed them up for their future. So they would no longer feel the need to lead with hate. They would no longer feel the need to lead with control. They would no longer feel the need to leverage power. But they would leverage love. And people would look in and they'd say, you know what, I actually don't know why those Christians love people the way they do. I don't actually know why those Christians serve people and ask nothing in return. I don't know why those Christians, <coughs> excuse me, excuse me. I don't know why those Christians are so on fire for the way they are, but man, I wish one of them would date my daughter. I wish one of them would date my son. I wish they would work for me because there is something different about them. They're not all about control. In fact, it seems that they're actually confident about the future, even though they don't know what's going to happen. It feels like the things that they've done in their past don't hold them back and don't pull them down like everyone else in this world. Sure, they have struggles. Sure, they go through trials, but they seem to to look at it in a different way. 
It's as if the experience and the trouble and the turbulation that they're going through right now doesn't define their entire life because they're looking forward to something bigger. They've got their eyes fixed on something else and I don't know what it is, but man, I'm curious about it. We would be leading with love as opposed to be leading with power and leading with hate. And we would be the generation, and we and you and I have the opportunity to be the generation that lead with the if-onlys. But in order for us to do that, we need to leave the past in the past and trust that Jesus has taken care of it, and we need to trust him and step into our future. So we're going to pray right now. I'm going to ask you to to bow your heads and and close your eyes. I'm going to invite the band back up on stage, but but I'm going to give you an opportunity uh, to respond in prayer during this. Uh, during this time. So we're going to pray. Uh, in, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then maybe, maybe you're thinking that I want to I actually step into my future. I want to trust Jesus. I want to like, give him my past and I want to step into my future. Then just where you're sitting right now, you don't, you don't have to say it out loud. You don't, you don't have to, you can just say it in your mind. I want you to pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, I trust you with my future. Lead me into my future. Heavenly Father, I believe. Amen. And if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe for you there's, there's something that you need to leave in your past. I want to give you the opportunity just, just where you're at, just to pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, I know I haven't always trusted you, but I want to trust you with my future tonight. I'm going to pray right now for everyone here. Lord, Father, when we, when we think about where you've saved us from, what you've called us to, it's incredible. Lord, to think that you redeemed us, that you knew, you knew our future before we were even born. You knew that when you came to earth, you were going to have to die on a cross and you knew the things that you were dying for and you said, I still want to do it. I still choose to do it because I don't want my creation. I don't want the creation that I love to ever have to earn love from me. By my act on the cross, they will know that there's nothing they have to do to ever be good enough. I've taken care of all of that. But more than that, I want to forgive them of their past and I want to free them up for their future. So Lord, we pray specifically for anyone tonight here who's just holding on to some baggage. For someone who's thinking like the Samaritan woman that it's too good to be true. Like maybe they have to reach a certain level or maybe they have to go to a certain class or do something before you'll act. Lord, I pray that you would make it real to them tonight. That you would show them that you meet them right where they're at take all their burdens, you take all their sins and you want to lead them and walk with them and journey with them into their future. Father, I pray that people will be set free tonight in the 